Good evening, ladies. It's great to be with you. I've been counting the days because um, this is just a wonderful time for us to gather together in our Lord's name uh, before our King in the Holy Eucharist and, uh, and to just uh, receive God's mercy in the sacrament of confession and to uh, build each other up uh, in each other's company. So this year, it's 2017, uh, we had quite a day today, um, I think we all feel like at least we can say with the direction that it's going, it's going toward the babies, okay? And that's a good thing. And uh, I don't want to be too political, but you know, we had the inauguration today, but 2017, it's, uh, it's a significant year. Uh, one of the reasons why it's a significant year is because this is the 100th anniversary of Fatima. Uh, Fatima, I don't want to assume too much with everyone here. I'm pretty sure you all know that story, but Our Lady appeared in Fatima, Portugal to three uh, youngsters, and uh, I'll get a little bit more into it later, and, uh, and gave them uh, various messages. And so um, we'll look into that as well tonight. Uh, as we gather here. It's also uh, the 500th anniversary of the uh, Protestant uh, Revolution, and uh, it's also, uh, ironically enough, the 300th anniversary of uh, the dawn of Freemasonry. So lots going on with this uh, year, this 2017. Uh, but I want to specifically talk about the 100 years. I did a lot of research, and I, I was just, I was just like shocked with each thing that would be unearthed. And I ended up writing about it. And those who have read my article, you're going to hear pretty much that article here tonight. Uh, but I want to be able to uh, unpack this. We're going to take you on a kind of a journey tonight. The first thing I want to say too is that uh, Our Lady has been appearing a lot in the last 150 to 200 years, uh, more so than ever. And so we wonder why. And, and also I want to say too that uh, we're not obliged to believe in private revelations, but the Vatican does have an approval system. So in, in other words, it's, they, can, they can discover that at least it's not um, some fake news, right? Okay? Uh, that it's, that it's, it's, it's open to be believed is, is basically what they're, we're, we're saying there. But, we're not obliged to believe it. So, I only work from what's called approved apparitions. And, um, but, again, we're not obliged. But something's going on. Something's going on in the last 150, 200 years because Our Lady has been appearing quite a bit. And, you know, as I looked at this, and as we're here in the year 2017, uh, I began to wonder, is Mary our Jonah? For our times. And remember the story of Jonah? Uh, we'll get into that a little later too. But he warned the Ninevites, you know, that, that, uh, that they needed to repent. So, I'm going to unpack this for you. Uh, I'm going to start with 1884. Uh, as legend has it, uh, it was, this is actually 33 years to the day of uh, October 17th, 1917, okay? when there was a miracle of the sun and the last apparition of our Blessed Mother. Okay, so let's wheel back 33 years to the day, which is the span of our, our Lord's lifetime, right? To uh, 19, or 1884 and uh, Pope Leo XIII. As the story goes, he was celebrating Mass in, in a Vatican chapel and there were cardinals around and uh, he stopped, he suddenly stopped at the foot of the altar. And he stood there for like 10 minutes in a trance. Uh, some even say that he, he uh, lost consciousness, as, as some accounts go. Uh, then after that happened, and they were just kind of watching him do this, and it was, it was odd. And then after that happened, he went back to his chapel, his office, and he composed the prayer uh, to St. Michael the Archangels with the instructions that this should be uh, said at the end of all low masses uh, everywhere. And it had been up until 
of the 1960s. When asked what happened, he explained that as he was about to leave the foot of the altar, he suddenly heard voices, two voices, one kind of gentle and the other guttural and harsh. They seemed to come from near the tabernacle. As he listened, he heard the following conversation. The guttural voice, the voice of Satan in his pride, boasted to our Lord, I can destroy your church. You like my guttural voice? And in a gentle voice, our Lord said, you can, then go ahead and do so. To do so, I need more time and more power. How much time? How much power? 75 to 100 years, and a greater power over those who will give themselves over to my service. You have the time, you will have the power. Do with them what you will. Okay? And then, as I said, he went to his office and he composed the St. Michael prayer, uh, which we prayed for all those years. So now let's go forward uh, 33 years. Now we're at May 13th, and the very first apparition of Our Lady. The children, they were pastoring their flock about a mile away from their house uh, in the Cova da Daria, uh, which uh, was, uh, and they were playing, and, and suddenly a bright light shot shone, and it pierced the air, and the lady spoke to them and said, Fear not, I will not harm you. Where are you from? The children asked. I'm from heaven, the beautiful lady replied, and gently raised her hand toward the distant horizon. What do you want of me? Lucia asked. I came to ask you to come here for six consecutive months on the 13th day at the same hour. I will tell you later what I am, uh, and, what I am and want uh, from you. So, it was, that was the first apparition and the last one would be on October 13th of these six consecutive uh, apparitions. And that would be the one that would land exactly to the day, 33 years, or 33 years later, from Pope Leo XIII's apparition. Now, uh, during that apparition on October 13th, 70,000 people showed up. And some of them were atheists, not all of them were believers. And all of them, experienced what they call the miracle of the sun. Now there were, people saw different things. Some people saw uh, the sun kind of spiraling coming toward them and they panicked. You know, they thought it was going to hit the, the earth. Others saw it spinning like a pinwheel in the sky. You know, so they saw different things, but they all encountered a supernatural miracle that day. And this miracle of the sun went about 10 minutes long. Um, and even the atheists uh, said, yeah, definitely uh, it happened that day. Uh, so, um, when, with these apparitions at Fatima, God asked for the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary by the Pope in union with all the bishops of the world. Our Lady of Fatima said that if the consecration of Russia was done, Russia would be converted and there would be peace. However, for the Pope and the bishops did not obey the request, Our Lady said that Russia would spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the Church and of the Holy Father, uh, the martyrdom of the good, and the annihilation of nations. So I find it interesting, too, that this happened on the 400th anniversary of the Protestant Revolution. Now here we are on the 500th anniversary of that. So, so kind of keep all these dates in mind as I take you through here. And I might seem a little rushed because there's just a lot to get through, but I wanted to, I wanted to give it all to you. So there's really a precedent. So why 100 years, okay? Why would that matter? There's a precedent for that. It was in Rionio, uh, Spain in uh, August of um, 1931. Our Lord communicated to Sister Lucia his dissatisfaction with the popes and the Catholic bishops, failure to obey his command to consecrate Russia. He said, make it known to my ministers, given that they followed the example of the king of France in delaying in execution of my requests, they will, fall into, uh, they will follow him into misfortune. 
It's never too late to have recourse to Jesus and Mary. In another text, uh, Lucia wrote about uh, our Lord complained to her, they did not wish to heed my request. Like the king of France, they will repent of it and they will do, do it, uh, but it will be late. Russia will have already spread its errors in the world, provoking wars and persecutions against the church. The Holy Father will have to suffer much. So what's this king of France thing? Well, here it is. It was on June 17th, 1689, that St. Margaret Mary Alcock received uh, a manifestation of the Sacred Heart of Jesus with the request, or with the command, really, that the King of France would consecrate France to the Sacred Heart. So kind of similar to what Our Lady asked in 1917, but way back in 1689 this happened. For a hundred years to the day, the kings of France delayed and did not obey. So on June 17th, exactly 100 years later, the king of France was stripped of his legislative authority by the upstart third estate, and four years later, the soldiers of the French Revolution executed the king of France as he was, uh, as if he were a criminal. In 1793, France sent its king, Louis XVI, to the guillotine. He and his predecessors had failed to obey our Lord's request that France be consecrated to the sacred heart of Jesus, and thus misfortune had befallen both the king and the country. Exactly one day to the day, a hundred years later, 1689, June 17th to June 17th, 1789. So the precedent for this hundred years uh, is already there. So that gives rise to, uh, you know, the, the possibility that in our time now, a hundred years may also matter. And of course, uh, our Lord had the conversation as it's reported from Pope Leo XIII uh, with Satan and gave the hundred years to him. However, it would not be just France that would inherit misfortune. It is more interesting to note that the Enlightenment period, generally known to have occurred in the 1680s to the 1790s, followed very closely to the same hundred-year period of that initial request for consecration of France to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Interesting, huh? That, that, that period of the French Revolution, or I mean the, the Enlightenment, you know, it's a great name, it sounds wonderful, but what, what was it really? The, the, the uh, Central to the Enlightenment, their agenda was an assault uh, on religious superstition, as they called it, and its replacement by rational religion, which is most commonly referred to as deism. Now, deism, because of this period called the Enlightenment, uh, was, um, uh, was prominent during that time. In fact, uh, most of our founding fathers were seen as deists. But what is a deist? Deism is a heresy which holds that God became no more than the supreme intelligence or craftsman who set the machine that was the world to run according to its own natural and scientific predictable, predictable laws. In other words, just God created it and then he left it. And, and that's what deism So in other words, sure, God, we'll, we'll give you that God created the world, okay? But this miracle stuff, this supernatural stuff, you know, us enlightened minds uh, don't believe in that, okay? Now this would get into the very fiber of uh, Western culture for sure, uh, beginning during that time, uh, that hundred year period, and it would come to us in our time. So much so that it brewed and percolated until the Russian Revolution. You know what that was? 1917, 1917, and so in the very year that Our Lady appeared in Fatima, Portugal, the Russian Revolution that would bring in
basically atheism into our times and the rejection of religion or supernatural of any kind. The errors of Russia, right? The errors of Russia that were fomented by this enlightenment period that occurred in 1689. And so it proved to be prophetic. In, in it, um, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, he penned an encyclical entitled uh, Humani Generis Redemptionum. Uh, he addressed an issue that uh, he looked to be uh, looked upon as a matter of the greatest and most uh, momentous concern. And so, up until 1917, the Western civilization had begun to drift away from the light of the gospel. The Reformation, the, the French Revolution, and as mentioned, the Russian Revolution were highly instrumental in ushering in the era that we're in now of secularism, of secularism. And so Pope Benedict wrote, if on the other hand, we examine the state of public and private morals, the constitutions and laws of nations, we find, and by Pope Benedict, right, I, I said 16, it's actually 15, he was writing back then, um, right around that time in 1917. Uh, we, find, we shall find that there is a general disregard and forgetfulness of the supernatural. A gradual falling away from the strict standard of Christian virtue and that men are slipping back more and more into the shameful practices of paganism. Okay? Paganism. Maybe that's the synonymous word to secularism. It's an anti-supernatural. It would be Elspeth um, uh, Hildebrand, uh, one of my favorite quotes, she says, you know, let's, let's not talk about left or right or, or liberal or conservative. See, these are political terms. Let's talk instead about those who have kept a sense of the supernatural and those who have lost it. She says, that's where the great divide is. That's where the great divide is. And we lose all these other terms. But it's really about that. So, here we are. At an age where this secularism is rushing in to our world. And then now we hit a midpoint. 50 years later, after 1917, where are we? We're 1967. What was going on at that time? Well, that was a time where um, the sexual revolution exploded in, in our country and in many parts of the world. And it's interesting to note that this eruption of this revolution occurred exactly 50 years to the day uh, later when on, on, on May 13th, 1967, uh, the song Summer of, or, or the, uh, the uh, movement Summer of Love saw 100,000 people converging at Haight-Ashbury neighborhood of San Francisco. But it was on May 13th that the song came out uh, called uh, San Francisco by the Moms and Papas. Those who are around my age or older, right? Are you going to San Francisco? Right? I think I crooned it as best I could. <laughs> but what happened then is that this was an utter return to paganism. Okay? A letting go for sure of the sense of the supernatural, even sacred, uh, but but uh, focusing now on our base, animalistic wants and desires, okay? Stripping ourselves of any sense that we are elevated to children of God. No, we're mere homo sapiens, and so we just should, should take care of the flesh in every way, drugs, sex, rock and roll, and we saw that going on at that time. But what was interesting at that time is that um, it got into the fiber of the culture. It wasn't just the hippies. It got in. It was a trend at that time. And so that many even churchgoers um, would adapt to that lifestyle and, and become a part of the whole thing where you just kind of gave up on, on uh, any sense of right and wrong, really, a sense of morals, uh, a sense of, of being that child of God. 
What's interesting as well is that, let's go back now to 1916, that's the year that the angel came to the children prior to Our Lady, okay? Most say that's St. Michael the Archangel uh, to tell them that Our Lady would come the following year. You know what happened in 1916? Margaret Sanger opened the first clinic for contraception in that year. Interesting. That would open the way, right, to unleash this sexual revolution at the 50-year mark. Okay, you follow me so far? Right? Now, that was 1967. Uh, we, we saw Vatican II. A lot of people want to blame Vatican II. But a lot of people say, you know, Vatican II gave those who wanted to kind of undo the past, okay, and, go, and, and break into the new, all right, a modernist, right? The, the Vatican II gave them an excuse to do that, right? They, they wouldn't even find um, sentences or phrases or anything to back up what they wanted to do. They would say, no, it, you're not going to read it in there. It's the spirit of the document, the spirit of Vatican II. So it just it, they, they abused Vatican II. Uh, if you will, during that time. Now, Pope uh, Paul VI, um, it, on most accounts, he, he, was, he was a great man, okay, he was a great Pope, but he, he was a lot like me, in this sense, is that I really am naive in the, the, the level of trust I have for people, all right? And, and uh, I get burned by that sometimes. But I still want to do that. I want to give everyone a lot of latitude. Well, this is, a, a, in a way, this was Paul VI as well. Is he trusted a lot of people? Well, except some characters came in that had their agenda and rushed through a lot of stuff. So it was by 1972 that Pope Paul VI was kind of waking up to this and going, wait a minute, wait a minute, okay? And he said this, it is as if some mysterious crack, no, it is not mysterious, from some crack, the smoke of Satan has entered into the temple of God. Okay? And then he, he too would give the great encyclical uh, Humanae Vitae, uh, that was in 1968, where he would kind of pull us back, the brakes primarily that spoke to contraception at the time. But in this anything goes kind of culture, you would go into any confessional at that time and many places now today and, uh, and you know, you go ahead and use your conscience, you know, in terms of conscience. In other words, our, our conscience trumps church teaching, okay? So, but here's the problem. You can't just do it there. If our, if our conscience trumps church teaching here, then why not here, 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 and here, okay? So what happens is, is that we move into a time where, um, for many people, the weight of what the church teaches, no big deal, you know? My conscience overrides all that. You see how this is all setting up? And so, uh, it would be, so 1972, we saw Pope Paul VI uh, with the smoke of Satan. Is the next year, 1973, what we have? The landmark uh, and uh, infamous uh, Supreme Court case of Roe v. Wade and, uh, and the unleashing of uh, abortion in our nation and, of course, uh, in and around that time uh, across the world. Where today, since 1973, 1,400,000 babies have been lost to abortion worldwide. One billion, four hundred thousand babies have been lost to abortion just since 1973. One has to ask oneself, can God be pleased with that? Okay? And, and, and the vast majority of the reason for abortion is because I just want to have sex. Okay? And so, if a baby springs up from that, get rid of the baby. You know, this, this, this feed the flesh kind of thing. Uh, this this um, animalistic, base way of living. 
disconnected from the divine, disconnected from our role to be the children of God, the light of the world. Okay, so all this is happening. Interestingly enough, in the same year of Roe v. Wade, okay, January of uh, 1973, it would be October 13th of 1973 that Our Lady of Akita, uh, in an approved apparition in Japan, uh, took the point further and gave us some idea how this smoke of Satan would take effect. And so here's what she said in 1973. The work of the devil will infiltrate even into the church in such a way that one will see cardinals opposing cardinals, bishops against bishops. The church will be full of those who accept compromises and the demon will press many priests and consecrated souls to leave the service of the Lord. If you're tuned in, that sound familiar? Especially right now. There's a, an expression, I didn't bring the Latin with me right now, uh, but the English is, things accelerate toward the end. Things accelerate toward the end, okay? So we're not years away from 2017, we're in it. We're literally days away from the 100th anniversary of Fatima, okay? And look what's accelerating all around us at this time. So this is exactly what happened. In the years following the Council of Vatican II, the deists among the clergy had gained such a foothold that they felt they were given carte blanche to completely revamp the church. And so the demolition of anything that points to the supernatural began. This has brought great division among the clergy and laity, possibly not so much as seen in this time since the Arian heresy of the 4th century. Since the time of the French Revolution, Deists have called for this revamping or updating, uh, aggiornamento, it's called, uh, out with the old and in with the new. And so the more common name given to them today is to say they are modernists. Out with the old into the new, okay? In with the new. The heresy of modernism holds that the church must move with the cultural trends and changes of the times. Most modernists then hold that the Enlightenment, the rejection of the supernatural, is a trend in which the church must follow. However, I gave them another title that I see more fitting. I came up with this title myself uh, for our times. We had the Arian heresy of the 4th century, I believe we're in a heresy right now I call Stealth Arianism. So not too long ago I wrote an article about this which posited that we are facing a monumental heresy in our times that equals or surpasses the greatest heresy of all times, which was Arianism. While Arianism openly denied the divinity of Christ, I call this modern heresy Stealth Arianism. You know, see, John says in, in, in his letter, uh, children, let us love not in word and speech, but in deed and truth. So while not many today openly deny the divinity of Christ by their words, far too many deny his divinity by their actions. Over the past uh, 50 years, this stealth Arianism has done everything within its power to remove from the lived experience of Catholicism, anything that would point to the divinity of Christ and the supernatural quality of our faith. Everything that has been stripped from our churches, sacred art, sacred architecture, sacred music, the sacred elements of the holy sacrifice of the mass, we are left in the barren desert of the banal. It's no wonder many Catholics think, nothing, think of nothing approaching the Holy, holy Eucharist dressed in a t-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops, and grabbing the host like they're reaching into a bag of potato chips. As Flannery O'Connor said, if it's a symbol, to hell with it. It's more surprising that these individuals even bother to attend Mass at all. And in fact, many are not now. The latest 
Grim Pew research study has shown we've seen steep declines in, in drastic ones even in the most recent years. Father Dwight Longnecker uh, spoke to this. Uh, he, you could tell he was ranting uh, based on these. In, in his title of his article is called Why Are the Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, Leaving the Church, Leaving Religion? And so I'm going to give you just a piece of his rant here. He says, people are leaving religion in droves because it's not religion anymore. It's become a charity meeting, a charity with meetings on Sunday. And the problem is modernism. Modernism is the idea that the supernatural is out of date and unbelievable. The demythologizers tried to weed out all the miracles and supernatural elements from the gospel for the last hundred years. Their influence has gained in seminaries and pulpits across the world. Tales of the supernatural had to be removed. They didn't fit with the modern world. Doctrines about devils and angels, heaven and hell, had to be quietly excised from the faith because they were primitive and medieval and incredible to modern folks. Transubstantiation, a pious medieval philosophical explanation of what we all know is really symbolic. Supernatural revelation, no. Religion is all man-made. Miracles, we know they don't really happen. She's being sarcastic there, right? Okay. Religious leaders, and I mean Catholics and Protestants alike, turn the Christian religion into an organization that does good works. Instead of the wondrous bread of heaven, they are content to hand out water bread. Instead of feeding of the 5,000, they spoke of the real miracle being the fact that everyone shared their lunch. All religious talk stayed in place, but it is reinterpreted. Father Willie and Pastor Fuzzy proclaim on Easter day, Alleluia, Alleluia, Christ is risen. But what they meant, uh, what they meant was, in some of the wonderful teachings of Jesus, it continued to be believed by his faithful followers. They said every Sunday that they believed in the virgin birth, but what they meant was, Mary was a very nice girl who was uh, very courageous as she went through her crisis pregnancy, and so on and so forth. You can tell it's a rant, right? I love the rant when I can quote other people and not me, right? <laughs> so, the unfortunate reality is that this modern campaign uh, of militant secular indoctrination, the rejection of the supernatural, has been so severe that only a dwindling remnant remains who believes or trusts in God's supernatural power. As a result, the spiritual hearts of many are reduced to the size of a thimble, only capable of receiving a few meager drops, if any, from the wellspring of God's graces. In spiritual terms, this makes us puny and scrawny rather than strong and powerful, mighty warriors ready to confront the powers of darkness in the heavenly realm. With so many modernized Christians ignoring the reality of grace, it's no wonder that evil is thriving in our day. In speaking of the need of the new evangelization, Pope Benedict XVI said, The true problem of our times is the crisis of God, the absence of God disguised as an empty religiosity. Close quote. And then I wrote, A kind of lukewarm going through the emotions of one's faith, which ends up collapsing completely. The terrible consequence of this war on the supernatural is seen in the epidemic of spiritual sloth in our times. Hearts deadened to the divine life of God. So I don't know about you, but I believe there is enough here to tell us that we need to act now. All these apparitions, these prophecies, seem to be pointing to our times. I in no way, I don't have a minute percent of a percent of, of belief that these are the end times. But I do believe that like any good parent, and God is a perfect parent, that he may give us a time out or give us a little whack on the behind, right? Or what's called a minor chastisement to try to, and I use modern terms, to try to reset the computer, if you will, okay? To get us back on track, because parents do that. You know, if you've got a child that's acting up, 
you know, you, you don't want to reward that behavior, okay? Uh, you want to help the child to understand that there's bad consequences to bad behavior. You see what I'm saying? God's a perfect parent, okay? So here we are, a hundred years, right? Now we're only days away. What are we going to do? Well, here's what I felt we should do. First of all, there's two things, actually. First of all, we should do this, what we're doing tonight. Um, Pope uh, John Paul II says, we need to restore, we need to rekindle, he said, Eucharistic amazement. Remember, if it's just a potato chip, we need to rekindle the Eucharistic amazement. I can't tell you the stories, and I bet you a lot of you can share them too, either personally for yourself or people you've talked to, about people who went into a whole other realm of their faith, deepening it, um, uh, uh, devoting themselves to it through Eucharistic adoration. Okay? Because, you know, we go to Mass. Mass is the, is, is, is the, uh, it's, it's everything, okay? Uh, but, but, but we need to help to make it everything, okay? And, and so, uh, adoration does that for us. So that we don't go to, you know, another Mass and, you know, go up to receive another communion and get in that kind of mode. What are we doing? We're stopping. We're stopping. We're not just busily doing the obligation or whatever. We're stopping and we're saying, my Lord and my God. Okay? That's why a lot of people are discovering the traditional Latin Mass because it's a lot like Eucharistic adoration. And we can become so busy at Mass that we kind of get superficial. In other words, we don't stop and consider what we're doing or who this is. Okay? We just kind of get caught in the motion of doing this, that, and the other thing. And a great story I like to tell for that is the story of Martha and Mary, right? The Son of God is in their living room. Martha is doing good and noble things. She's doing what you always do. You're hospitality. You're serving people. You've got guests in your home. So she's busy. She's working around. What does Mary do? She stops. She's at the foot of Jesus. She's as close as she can appropriately be. She's gazing into his eyes. She's hanging on his every word. Okay? She's in adoration. Okay? There's some times when the Son of God is in your living room that you gotta just stop. Okay? And so that's, that's what we do here with adoration. I'm also, you know this too, I'm a 24-7 confessional, that we need to be in a state of grace. This is our opportunity to detox to get rid of all the impurities, all the sins out of our body, to make an appropriate manger, a vessel, for our Lord to come and dwell. Okay? And so the sins make it uh, not appropriate, okay? And so, you know, if it's, if it's mortal sin, our Lord waits until he has an inviting vessel to come and be in, right? So come to confession, and then to marinate in God's presence. And then to get some kind of uplifting uh, nuance to our faith. All right? And then to enjoy the fact that we're in this together. That's why we're here tonight. And I believe it's one of the most important things that is needed today is what we're doing here tonight. To help us to rekindle our Eucharistic amazement. The other thing is more um, emerging, emergent, if you will, in the sense that, like I said, there's only days away from uh, the 100th anniversary. You know, what if we're given this time to be able to, to, to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus? Now let's get to that story of Jonah. Remember, he was sent by God. They spit out by a whale, right? Uh, sent by God to go through Nineveh to warn them. To say, and they for him 40 days more. And remarkably, they believed him. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They repented. They turned from their evil ways. Okay? And so the last line of that story of uh, Nineveh 
is, where did I put that? Here it is. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring them destruction he had threatened. Okay? So why not? Why not? We have, uh, I don't know what it is now, 114 days, 115, whatever it is. But, but, but why not let's band together and let's take that last 90 days. The reason I picked 90 is that I was inspired by what's called Exodus 90, which actually helps people to break a lot of bad habits, primarily a bad habit of impurity, okay? Uh, and it, it's got a lot of good qualities in there. I took some of theirs and I also added what we've been finding is so powerful and miraculous and draws us closer to the Lord, is one, the 50-40 day Rosary Novena, Okay, so on day one, February 13th, with 90 days to go to May 13th, we start out with the 54-day Rosary Novena, all right? And that kicks us up to the Friday before Lent, and then the Monday of Lent, we begin then the 33-day preparation for consecration, which leads us up to the day before May 13th, so that on May 13th, on the 90th day, that we consecrate ourselves to Our Lady on the 100th anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima. Doesn't that sound awesome? During that time, we will do as the angel in the third uh, message of Fatima said, penance, penance, penance. Call us the penance. What is penance? Penance is, is, in essence, it's a detachment from the world so you can be greater attached to God. So we go without things to try to purge ourselves or to try to get us unaddicted, all right? From, from the creature comforts that we have in our lives so that we're freer to engage the Lord. And so for, for the 90 days, uh, we're going to ask people, if you've got a repentance to sin that you're dealing with, pledge the Lord then. I don't know what's going to happen on day 91, but for these 90 days, I ain't going to do that. Okay? You know, whether it's uh, masturbation or alcohol or overeating, whatever it is, whatever's got us caught. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to worry about day 91, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to pledge these 90 days. Then, remember they put on sackcloth and ashes? Our modern day sackcloth and ashes, our act of humility, is the brown scapular. Okay? So we're going to ask everybody to be enrolled in the brown scapular and put that on. How am I doing for time? Okay. I'm almost done anyway. <laughs> then third... We're going to ask people, the rest of these now is kind of getting into really what we should be doing anything anyway, but maybe we just got out of these good habits, these good Catholic habits. So one is we're going to ask people to commit themselves to go to confession at least once a month during the 90 days, okay? To get that habit up and running if you've gotten out of the habit or just stick with the habit if you're already in it, okay? Um, so that one for a lot of people isn't that, that big. Number four is... We want to develop support systems. We ask people if they could get a group together, that'd be great, they could do face-to-face -face time uh, and try to do it at least once a week. Um, but uh, if you can't do that, do it online. And if you can't even do that, try to find a buddy, okay? The ideal is to, and it's, this, in this context, this one is an ideal. The ideal is to have a group and then a, a, a accountability buddy, all right? A person that you're walking through this together with that you can be in contact pretty frequently. Maybe three times a week. How you doing? Is what I'm struggling with. Whatever. You know, you, you go through this with accountability buddy. They find that this, in, in everything uh, they do with, with uh, the idea of breaking the bad habits and developing the good habits, that this one is key, okay? Um, then the fifth is we're asking people to join what's called the Angelic Warfare Confraternity. Um, and, uh, uh, we actually have a Dominican priest with us tonight. So uh, these, this, this is promoted by the Dominicans. It's, it's it actually inspired by St. Thomas Aquinas, okay? And it actually is um, a way for us, again, to break uh, bad habits primarily if we're, if we're dealing with pure impurity, but it can be all things. But the, the story with that is uh, St. Thomas Aquinas was actually uh, trying to be blocked by his family to go into the Dominican order. And so they ordered a prostitute to come and kind of, you know, ruin him, all right? And, uh, and he prayed hard and, and an angel appeared and all this. And 
and, uh, and he's, he stayed the course, okay? Uh, so it's inspired by that story. I'm giving the Cliff Notes the story, obviously, but, but uh, it's inspired by that story. So, um, so we're asking people to do that. And then just daily prayer. These are the very big, uh, bare bones basics. I actually trimmed it down from other things I was going to add. But when you wake up in the morning, uh, do the morning offering, okay? You can have a holy card next to it, like my little prayer book that I offer has it in there. It's just a quick little prayer. We want to get in that habit of doing a morning offering every day. Uh, we want to get in the habit, too, to do the Angelus. It's an amazing Catholic tradition. You hear the Angelus bells go off in churches, and yet nobody's doing anything, okay? Uh, we want to be the Catholics that do something when the bells go off, right? And nowadays you can set your watch or your cell phone or whatever to let that ring for you and remind you. Um, so, uh, and that's 6 noon and 6 again. And that, if you don't get up before 6 in the morning, then don't worry about that one, right? We want to pray a rosary day, okay? Very basic. Um, we want to do what I call it the holy hour, but it's, it, 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 I, I think I might change the name of that because so many people are thinking, well, I gotta go to a church and I gotta find the exposed blessed sacrament and do the holy hour. No, that's not what we mean. Uh, holy hour is just, you know, find a, you know, an empty room in your house, okay? Uh, go down the basement or whatever, wherever your prayer area is. Sure, if you can get into church and there's exposed, that's, that's a big bonus. But that's not what we're talking about here. We want to do a minimum 20 minutes of contemplation, mental prayer, okay? Uh, just silence by yourself and uh, what I call holy. And then there's, then there's some very simple prayers that we could do, very short, uh, before you go to bed at night, some bedtime prayers. That's it, okay? We want to get those basic habits up and running if they're not there yet, okay? Then that's six, and then seven is, um, for 90 days, and here's the part that is, is, uh, might be tough for a lot of people, okay? For 90 days, we want to commit to these. Uh, if, you, if, if, if you're not in exercise, I'm actually starting to exercise a little bit more so that my, my, my joints are, you know, moving by the time I start, okay, I'm warming up, in other words. I, I lift weights all the time, but I'm doing more cardio now. But, but get into an exercise program. I call that positive penance. You're doing something healthy for your body. We should be doing that anyways. You offer that up, the pain, the boredom, whatever it is. It's a wonderful offer it up. Try to make sure you get a solid seven hours of sleep a night. Uh, no alcohol, no desserts and sweets, no eating between meals. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try to fix that one too because like for me, I'm trying to get my metabolism more healthy because I found out I have food allergies, so for almost my entire life, I fasted every day and ate a big meal before I went to bed at night. Ruined my metabolism. What do they say about getting your metabolism healthy? Have tiny meals throughout the day, okay? So I don't want to curb people from doing that very healthy thing, so I'll probably uh, tweak that one as well, because that's what I plan to do. Not a lot of big meals, but tiny meals throughout the day. No sodas, uh, sweetened drinks, no television or movies, but I allow news, okay? Um, and only music that is lifts the soul to God. Basically, stay away from the, the bad stuff. And uh, no televised sports, but I allow one per week because I'm a Packer fan. Right? <laughs> and uh, limit recreational computer time. So only use it for personal needs and fulfillment. And you're going to need it for things like your reflections for 90 days. But just try to limit the recreational time. Um, uh, Facebook and, and all the others, they can be very fun, but they can also absorb a lot of our quality time we could be doing for prayer. And fun is good, it's restorative, it's great. Limit that, okay? Um, and then, uh, and then, we'll be doing the Mary Consecration on May 13th, and where'd my last page go? The prayer intention for this novena is going to be for our personal holiness, I, I, uh, for the 54-day novena that we start out with, our personal holiness, and for the Roman Catholic Church. A lot of people have come up to me and say, can we, you know, we did a great job praying for America, right? And I think great results. But can, can we please pray for our church? There's a lot of division, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, so we're praying for our church. And this is the church that Christ set up to be the healing for the rest of the, the, the world. On uh, Sundays and Solemnities, now, you can relax your discipline, but not abandon it, okay? So you, you, can, you can have a sweet, or 
you know, um, have a have a beer, okay, but uh, but don't have a you know 12-pack, right? <laughs> and uh, call for fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays, uh, water, juice, and bread only, if, uh, but only if medically allowed. Uh, and if you have sugar, you know, blood sugar issues or anything like that, you know, don't do that. You know, do it, do it. You got to do it to stay healthy, okay? Uh, but for those who can do that, it's a great thing to do on uh, Wednesdays and Fridays during that time. And like I said, now is a great time, if you're going to be entering into this on May uh, 13th, to offer our last 90 days of this 100 years to our Lady and our Lord, okay? Uh, now is a great time to do warm-up. You know, start inching into it so that February 13th isn't just like a super shock, okay? of getting into it. Um, so that's it. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'll tell you what, if you had talked to me six months ago, I would have said, find a bunker and stay there, okay? Uh, but there are so many signs of hope. And you see people who have responded with prayer, okay? or even a, a more devotedness, a more seriousness to their faith as they see what's going on in the world around them, okay? And so, and you see what God's doing with that. It's pretty amazing. I mean, I'm almost choking up just to tell you, we're gonna get a great Supreme Court justice. I mean, look where we were just a couple of months ago. We would have been toast for 40 to 50 years, okay? I mean, we can judge the election all we want, but just that alone, all right? I have a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope. I have time. And I think if we do this Nineveh thing, like he told, uh, like, he, like he said in the book of Jonah, that he will relent. He, he saw that they, uh, they turned from their evil ways, they repented, and he relented of his punishment. Let's ask God to, to bless our nation, to bless our families, our churches, our neighborhoods. Let's, let's ask God for his richest blessing as we too turn to him.